course, I have the uh, I'm telling you, I have the <laughs> they're cutting the lawn here. Oh, of perfect. course, of course, you know. Right. I mean, hey, it happens. <laughs> and welcome everybody to uh, the Rich Enser Show, where his lawn is being cut right now. This is Michael Raziel. I'm for the love of sports. This is where I get to have conversations with people in the sports business industry and see what happens in between. Rich, how you doing today? Doing well, Michael. Glad to be on. I appreciate you. I appreciate our good friend, mutual friend, David Sarodi, putting us in contact. Rich, uh, you may have heard his name once or twice. Rich Enser is the commissioner of the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, the other Mac, I guess. Is that okay? The Big to say Mac, that Michael. The Big, Big Mac. Mac. There we go. I like, I'm here up in the Northeast, man. So I'm, I'm all about here. branding. <laughs> so. I love it. The Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference up here in the Northeast. He's a former member of the Division One Council. He's a member of the Division One Women's Basketball Committee, former director of marketing at Seton Hall, SID at St. Peter's, and assistant professor over there at UMass Amherst. But David, very excited. Or Rich, I'm sorry, I talked to a David earlier today. Rich, very excited to get to chat with you today about what the last 30 plus years as a commissioner has been like and helping students and athletes in schools. But the first question. I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Well, sports for me, is, it brings out the best and the worst of people. And uh, I enjoy the uh, operations that go into producing the games and the content. And uh, I consider myself uh, an operations guy when it's all said and done. Uh, I used to think myself more marketing, and I still have, I do a lot of that. But uh, I have to say, uh, when I try to defi- define what I like best, it's just putting it all together into an efficient operation. I like that. And just trying, and I'm sure right now that's a very easy, easy task for you to take care of, especially with the way the world is. Uh, no, you're shaking your head. That's surprising. How weird. No, not these days. It hasn't been easy. and It's rarely been easy, but it's certainly not easy right now. No, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm, I guess not, I don't know if I'm excited to talk about the, you know, the pandemic and COVID, but I'm definitely interested to talk about, with you about that. But I'm also interested in, I guess, you know, why college athletics? So I rattled off a little bit here, as I said, the uh, SID over at St. Peter's, you were the director of marketing in Seat Hall and then kind of went right into being commissioner. So I'm, I'm curious about that jump, but I'm also curious, like what, what is it about college athletics that from a young age, you, you kind of decided, Hey, this is, this is where I want to spend a lot of my life. Well, partly it was just opportunity. It's where the opportunities presented themselves to me. Uh, I came up through a very traditional route of having worked as a team manager at St. Peter's. And oftentimes in those days, you would then transition into some form of administration, which I did over time. My uh, first big jump was to be an assistant AD at St. Louis University for my former basketball coach, Dick McDonald, who was then AD there. So it it had those kind of relationships, and so I kind of had those opportunities and went into it. I've always liked college sports, though, because there's turnover. You know, the players uh, are always different. They always have enthusiasm. Uh, we're a coaches league, uh, so you don't run into all the necessarily some of the issues you do in the in the majors with the players just you know pushing for control, if you will. That's what we see nowadays. So it's really, it's got a very defined uh, administrative function with the coaches reporting the ADs, reporting the commissioners and so forth. So that's always appealed to me. And one of the things in the MAC was I I came out of a school at St. Peter's that was uh, one of the founders here. 
uh, in this league. And so I, I, I had a relationship with the type of concerns about academic then athletics that the Mac schools exhibit and make part of their overall uh, mission statement. So I always wanted to keep that as where I wanted to work, someplace that valued both, not just one over the other. So it's been a great relationship, and uh, I always feel very honored to be able to represent these schools, never have to apologize for them in any way, shape, or form, and and that's appealing to me. So, And they've given me a lot of free reign over the years. I've been successful and been able to grow it. And uh, so the ability to do that has been appealing to me as well. The big Mac. Let's get it rich. And I guess like, so you say you're, you're, you're given free reign. I mean, I'll, I'll be very honest again, like with the, I, I know some of the commissioners off the top of my head for the power five conference. Um, Nope, the Big Ten commissioner just retired, didn't he? So never mind. I no, the ACC did. No, uh, okay, that's John cool. Swafford. He's getting ready to retire. Okay, well, yeah, so, you got Swafford and Sankey. You've got uh, we. You're probably thinking of Jim Delaney at the Big Ten. Yep, yeah. Yep. So Kevin Warren just took over there. Larry Scott's now at the uh, uh, the Pac-12, and uh, and then we have uh, whoa, at the Big Twelve. Uh, I could see his face. Can't think of his name. But anyhow, I'm sure know, he's not listening. So don't yeah, <laughs> these are all people that we work with regularly, though. Um, so um, Bob Bowlesby, by the way. But um, those five certainly have a lot to say about the structure of, of D1 athletics and how the NCA operates. But within the bigger umbrella of Division One, there's lots of room to be successful, build a career, not necessarily uh, at that top level but certainly one that's rewarding and for me I, I raised a family in this league and three of the four kids went to schools in the in the league as as part of my agreement uh as <laughs> part of my employment agreement uh-huh. and so it's been something i've always enjoyed and being part of it and so so that that, that was going to be you know getting to the question like what exactly do does a commissioner of you know the big mac do like again i I hear and see those other names all the time and they're you know it's it's all about the hundreds of millions and millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. i i have to assume i'm sorry that you're not quite at that level but like so what exactly does a, a, a commissioner of a league like this do with 11 teams with a lot of basketball no football and and how are you really able as you said to take free reign and grow something like this well all all leagues have certain core functions, no matter if you're the Big Ten or the Big Mac. <laughs> you know, you have scheduling is a major function, broadcasting, marketing, championship operations, statistics, awards. Those are just core functions that each one of us do. Everybody has a compliance function with the NCA to make sure the rules are being followed. So my department, when it's fully staffed, and we're not right now, we've just gone through a cutback because of mm-hmm. the COVID-19 budget but when I had all 12 people here working, they were divided in those kind of operational structures. So we had, we had four or five people that work in championships. I have a finance person, a compliance person, a couple of PR people, a videographer, and a marketing person. So it, it, those are the core functions of any, any conference. And then part of my job is underrepresent the leak within the NCAA and within the governance structure. So I get very involved in that, both on committee structure, 
But even within the CCA, which is the Collegiate Commissioners Association, where all 32 D1 conferences operate, you know, I've chaired that. I've been the president of once. Uh, I'm currently chair of the the CCA 22, which is all the non-FBS football conferences. So we have to organize agendas and uh, operations with the NCAA. Have a lot of that going on right now in relation to the COVID-19 and the, for instance, most recently, the uh, dropping of fall sports. You know, what are we going to run those in the spring now? Uh, and getting ready uh, for whatever comes our way with basketball, because we don't want to miss another basketball season. So uh, those are the kind of things I do day to day. Um, as far as having free reign, basically, I come up with a strategic plan every three to five years. I present it to the board. The board of the MAC is made up of the 11 college presidents. And in there, I'll lay out a plan for the league for a period of time and and special projects that I may want to work on and elements I see as being opportunities for the league to take advantage of. So early in my career, uh, a lot of that, and we were much smaller then too. We only had three or four people when I came on board. But we were really focused on maintaining membership because at that time there was a realignment going on. This is 1988. And the MAC, which had started out as a metropolitan league made up of pretty much bus, a bus league, if you will, you know, it was Army, Fordham, Manhattan, Iona, St. Peter's, and Fairfield. And so it was very, very local and had grown over time to include Holy Cross and uh, LaSalle and then others as we went along. It had come to a crossroads right before I got hired. And uh, of that original eight group, when I got here, four of them were leaving to form the Patriot League, which still exists today. Mm -hmm. And we were in a position where we needed to expand immediately or we were gonna go out of business uh, under the NCA regulations. You have to have seven members that play basketball and they have to play now they have to be playing continuously for six years to count for an NCAAQ. In those days, they were just building those rules. So we were trying to get in under the wire, get grandfathered in. So immediately I got hired. They said, fix the budget. We want a broadcasting package. And by the way, we need to add four or five members or we're going to be out of business. Uh, can you get that done in the next 60 days? So we really did work on that. And uh, the president of St. Peter's then, uh, Father Ed Glenn, who's since passed, but great friend and a great uh, friend of athletics. He worked with I and a couple of others. And we went out and eventually secured uh, Siena, Niagara, Canisius, and Loyola, Baltimore to become four members. And it brought us up to 12 for a short period of time. And then once uh, the other schools departed the form of the Patriot League, we went to eight. And we varied over the years from anywhere as high as 12 as as low as eight during my tenure. Um, and, but there's always mix, there's always changes. So we added Ryder and Maris along the way in another period of time. And then we lost uh, uh, LaSalle and uh, over time Loyola. Typically what happens in this league, the Patriot League fishes in my pond. So I've lost any number of schools to the Patriot League. And that's usually about academics, although with Loyola, it was really about lacrosse at a high level. 
Or, and then I typically have fished in the Northeast Conference pool in recent years. Before that, we used to, uh, we brought in schools from the North Atlantic League, which is a long time ago, before mm -hmm. your day, Michael. And uh, we were able, that's where Niagara, Canisius, and Siena came from. So we've, we've rated conferences up, frankly, and we've been rated. That's the nature of realignment. It's a, it's a nice way of saying it, rating. And so. I like the fishing in their pond. I think that's a little bit of a nicer way to say it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so it seems very political, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it, it seems like there's a lot of things going on that us, you know, people watching don't really see. I mean, what, what do those, I don't want to call them back to our conversations because that makes them sound shady. What do those fishing trips look like and sound like when you are talking to some of these other schools and really just like, how, how do those pitches go? And, and are, are you allowed to talk to them? Like, I, I'm really yeah, curious because I've never, yeah, really you can have conversation anytime you want. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the first go around, it was really, you know, we just called them up. Frankly, we say, Hey, we're looking for members. Are you interested? I, we had a group of six. We interviewed actually, uh, Hartford was in the mix as well as uh, somebody else. I can't think of it who it is now. But in any case, uh, we had OFDU was in that mix too. And we took the four that we did. So in that, we were very upfront. We needed to expand. Blah, blah, blah. So when uh, in other cases, it was strategic um, with Ryder and uh, Marist. I was looking to... Uh, get a school with with Ryder to replace uh, LaSalle in the South Jersey, Philly quarter, if you will. Mm -hmm. And Maris was a nice fit for the space between, you know, Manhattan and Iona to uh, Siena and Albany. So it brought in a, a good rival for those schools. Uh, and they have developed into rivalries, whether it's Ryder or St. Peter's or Marist and Siena. So that was kind of that. And we were also at, at that point also concerned about a, a new regulation that required uh, to have seven continuous members for six years. We were at eight and you never want to be too close to the edge. So that, that kind of pushed my rationale with the presidents while I was also looking at quality to the league. And we're a basketball league, so both those schools have pretty good basketball reps. Uh, our most recent expansion, uh, when we added uh, Mammoth and Quinnipiac, uh, I'm trying to think how that got started. Uh, <laughs> well, we knew we were losing Lo Loyola to uh, to the Patriot League, so we did want to have an even number. Obviously, we didn't add, end up at an even number because we're at 11, but uh, I, uh, I was literally driving home. I live in South. Uh, Jersey and Ocean County. And I've always been familiar with mom. It's just for where I grew up in Bricktown. I live in Winoka Harbor now. So uh, I'm from that region. So uh, I said, I've got to call Marilyn McNeely AD as Mammoth and see if they're shopping for conference realignment themselves. Now they are a football school. They have football and we weren't a natural fit for them, but they were looking to upgrade their football too and had an opportunity to do that moving to the big South. So it kind of mm -hmm. was just uh, it was just a little bit of kismet, but you know you you know how much thought went into it. I'm driving down the parkway and I'm thinking I got to call mom and you know? <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> and That's Quinnipiac funny. had been knocking at our door for five or six years. Jack McDonald used to call me each each year. He was the AD at Quinnipiac, 
And I'd say, Jack, no, not now, not now, you know, because Fairfield at one point was a little reluctant to bring another Connecticut school into the mix. That's kind of why Hartford didn't get in it back in the day as well. But uh, there came a time when they saw the value of having a rival in state. Mm -hmm. So that kind of changed. And sometimes it's a matter of opinions changing on campuses, presidents come and go, boards of directors change. So the thought process around Quinnipiac became uh, a lot more positive. So then we had 11, and who was going to be 12? Well, we couldn't decide on 12. It was really, uh, it often comes down to it. There's just not enough there or there to make mm-hmm. a decision, you know? So we've been at 11 for a while. Uh, we did have a conversation with Robert Morris about a year ago. Yeah, almost two years now. And uh, they were interested. Uh, I thought Pittsburgh made some sense for our Western New York schools. You know, it'd be a fairly decent rival, not too far from Buffalo. Uh, but for one reason or another, uh, the schools just weren't ready again to, to add the 12th. And subsequently, the uh, Robert Morris has announced they're going to the Horizon League. So if a school's looking, we, they'll normally start reaching out to conferences. If we're looking, uh, we'll call schools. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that. It is very interesting. I always say it's like high school lunchroom. Yes. There is a table you want to be at where all the cool kids sit, you know, you know, say that's a biggies for sake of argument. And then there, there's a table you're at, which you're saying, and I don't belong here. And then you say, well, what's between me and the biggies? Well, maybe it's a Mac, you know, but oftentimes it is that, you know, Mm -hmm. schools have aspirations. These are business decisions. Mm -hmm. They're trying to line themselves around the missions or mission or areas where they have high alumni concentration. So many things go into it uh, that uh, it's not always about athletics, frankly. It's mm-hmm. it's frankly more about the other. And, and athletics, we figure if we're talking to a school like that, they have a pretty good athletic program. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want to. Um, so I, I'm a Rutgers graduate. Uh, I, my first year at Rutgers, we were in the Big East. My second year at Rutgers, we were at the AAC. And then the year after I graduated, they went to the Big Ten, which we thought would have been a lot of fun. But it has not been any fun yet because Rutgers has been terrible. But the money that is involved is significant. And that's uh, why it's major. And yeah. those Rutgers, programs so. are. It's always that's why it's always been interesting to me, especially kind of these political. And again, obviously, on the Big Mac level, it's not quite the same as it is on the Big Ten level, where there used to be six power conferences. And now there's only five because they pretty much just said Big East. Go. Don't tell that to the American. Oh, no. okay, I I won't tell the American. Um, If you can get the American commissioner on here, I promise I won't. Mike Oresco, he's a good guy. Have you reached out to him? Not yet, but I might after this. I'll I'll, I'll tell him I'm sorry for what I said. (laughs) It's always very interesting to me to see kind of how these these things happen you know way 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 before they happen i guess as you've been saying like you're driving down the parkway you're calling up monmouth and then it's not till a few months later where the rumblings start coming out right and yeah, that's when they well. start to so it's always very interesting to me to kind of hear that back door like how what the sausage was actually made considering again while i was at a heavy, heavy air quotes, football school, uh, we saw exactly kind of what was happening in front of our eyes. And all of a sudden the biggies didn't exist. And then all of a sudden we're in the, the AAC and we're playing Kent state. And then we lose to Kent state. And it was just very confusing watching all of it happen as a semi-drunk college student. Well, I know Pat Hobbs is the AD. There was my law school Dean. So I've known Pat for a while, at least at the end, 
my law school. I'm a, I didn't go to law school right out of college, so I was a little older. But uh, uh, he's done a nice job with that transition. It's extremely expensive. The Ohio State's athletic budget's $110 million. You know, think about mm-hmm. that. You know, it's just amazing. Uh, and so even if you're spending 60 or 70, you're, you're on the bottom third of that group mm-hmm. of schools. And frankly, uh, we have what is known as the Commissioner Cup, which is, uh, you know, the award you give out to the program that has the most success across all the sports. Well, you know, the truth of that is 90% of that reflects budgets. Mm-hmm. And then 10% reflects the quality of the athletes and coaching they get. Now, you can move up and down even if you don't have the same budget level as some of the ones that are at the top. But eventually, you kind of settle back into that realm where your budget resides because without the resources to recruit and run uh, and travel and do the kind of scheduling that requires you to move up uh, into the next tier, you're not gonna, it's going to be hard to, to really break into the top tier of any conference. Mm-hmm. So I think if you probably took a look at the Big Ten and lined up their budgets with their Commissioner Cup, there'll be a strong correlation. It's probably not as much as a MAC because, frankly, their budgets are just so high. But there's probably more correlation than most people think there is. Oh, no, I'm sure it's a very direct uh, correlation, unfortunately, but it is what it is, right? I mean, I'm yeah, sure it, the it commissioners, is. Is, it, is that something you lose sleep over at night? The commissioner's no. cup? Exactly. No. Yeah. In fact, I've those. often said should be called the director's cup because the guys that fight over that and the women that fight over that are the ADs, not, uh, not I like me. That. I just hand it out at the end of the day. I love so it. We've had pitched battles over the over the points structure around the commissioner cup. You know, you can't imagine. Oh, I could imagine. Um, and I, I don't really want to get too deep into that. That just sounds like a, <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of petty fighting. But uh, well, probably, not petty. It's just, you know, structure. How do you build it to reflect what's best for you, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But you did bring up something a little, uh, a, a couple minutes ago when talking about some of this realignment. There was the one school, I apologize, I can't remember exactly who it was, that they had the football program that was able to go to the Big South. And yeah, the Mammoth. Program, Mammoth, thank you, was able to then come to the the big mac and and with that in mind like how being a basketball specific school obviously you've been here your whole time so that's that's really you know all you know but how how is it do you see it being different than some of these other schools that obviously football runs the show that's where all the revenue Mm -hmm. comes from and then we're hearing all these arguments well you know football loses its revenue all these other sports are going to lose and they're not going to exist anymore but clearly that's not the case because you guys don't have football and you still have all these sports. So how, like, give me a little insight on there because it's a very confusing just conversation uh, that you hear in the media all the time, which I don't really know what's real and what's not. Well, on the top level, when they say that football, if football goes away, they're talking about the revenue stream mm-hmm. that funds those big programs. That $110 million from Ohio State, uh, about $80 million of it is probably related to football. Mm-hmm. either through broadcasting rights or ticket sales, fundraising, and so forth. So when they say there's no football and a lot of that drops off the off the ledger, that's what they're saying about losing the funding for those other programs. The fact of the matter is they'll probably figure out a way to do it, but they're going to have some losses for the short term and probably will rank run up some debt, not like anybody else who's having problems with income. The Pac-12, I've read, I don't know this personally, but I've read that they're, they've are they gone out and secured a $900 million loan 
where the uh, the member schools there can draw down on that for five years and pay it off, so they can fund their programs this year with the lo- with the loss of the football revenue. So that's all pretty real. Um, on our level, our budgets are built for the year to year based on the you know the program scope and what their mission and goals are. So it's not driven by revenue so much. It's really a function of the a- athletic budget as part of the university budget. Even at Rutgers, you're running a separate budget line absent the university line. And then the university may be fronting some of the, the funds you need in order to run that because you've been at a deficit for a while. But uh, when that gets eliminated at some point, the Big Ten revenues grow to the point where you're in a plus situation, that'll get paid back. Um, but in our case, we're not doing that. We're typically running off of a budget line within the university budget. Sometimes there's fees that are structured into it. Uh, we don't have that universally in the MAC, but you know they have revenue streams, um, but nothing like the majors. It's really all about uh, university budget and priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess it does make sense that you know when we're talking. I mean. Does all the schools in the MAC combined have a budget of 110 million for athletics? Mm, I don't know. Off the top of my head, close. It might be in the neighborhood. We have three okay. schools with football now. Oh, two with football. We have Marist and uh, and uh, Mammoth. Marist runs it on a non-scholarship basis. Okay. And we have a couple of ho- three hockey programs. So our, yeah, we're probably pushing that, but I wouldn't know right off the top mm-hmm. of my head. It's not something we really track. Well, not even that. It's just kind of the comparison to a one school in the Big Ten has that much of a budget compared to these 11 schools. So obviously it, it's going to be a little different um, when when looking at that. I know well, I'm sure I have institutional budgets that aren't as big as Ohio State's athletic budget. I mean, forget I athletics, that. you know, I believe that under 20 million dollars. You can run a pretty good school off of that. I think we could. I think we could, Rich. Let's see what we could do there. And I guess with with that, like how in your 30 years you've been doing the 30 plus years you've been doing this. I mean, the Internet became a thing. Um, Biggest change in the business while I've been here is the the Internet and the access to broadcasting and access to public markets. When I was first year, basically, we were in the New York region. The Daily News and New York Times might put our score in. They might occasionally, if we had a special team, write something about us. But there was no sustained uh, publicity. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much word of mouth through the institutions. Uh, you might have a couple of TV games on local networks. You might have a radio network. Now today, uh, and, and beginning really pretty much when I got here, we were able to go online and get all our information to our fans directly so you no longer had filters. Uh, We've been able to build a broadcasting network. All 11 schools are broadcasting studios. We now broadcast all our content on ESPN 3 and Plus, and we also have a U package. But we're doing almost, I think we did almost 800 plus games of one form or another last year. So we have our own broadcast packages. it's just amazing the difference what the internet has brought to us. Now, on the other, on the downside, newspapers have gone away, but that really hasn't impacted us because we weren't getting that much cover yeah, from uh, newspapers to begin with. So, I was gonna say, that's really not that bad. I mean, that's... No, 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 and we still occasionally will get something in the New York Times or whatever, but it's a uh, it's a much different uh, business model when you can reach your consumer directly. 
And that affects things like enrollment, uh, the ability to service the alumni, uh, and also just to build general awareness of your programs for recruiting purposes. So very big difference was the internet. That was the biggest ones. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially with the streaming opportunity over the last couple of years. And, and as you said, you, you can see it directly with enrollment. You can see it directly with uh, recruiting. What is it like when one of your schools, I mean, every year, one of your schools is going to the NCAA tournament, at least. Mm-hmm. Ha, is is there an even more direct route? You know, if one of these schools makes it to that second weekend where you can see that kind of pop in, in enrollment, in recruitment, and, and really see that, and then that kind of trickles down to the rest of the conference? Well, one of my presidents always said the minute they won the NCAA Q men's basketball, that was a million dollars worth of free publicity for the school, Hello. like the first day. So when Manhattan would win the win the MAC tournament, and the Daily News had it on the back page of the sports of their paper with on the sports side, you know they couldn't get that coverage, you know, <laughs> ever. So yeah, the NCAA is a big deal for us, and that's why. Some of the discussions you hear about AQ access and everything else, and we're going through that right now with this uh, with this rescheduling of the fall. We need that. I mean, we have guarantees to that, and it's something we're willing to fight with the majors on. There aren't that many things we fight with the majors on. AQ access is one of the things. What is AQ access? When you get an automatic bid to a conference, that's an automatic qualifier, an AQ. So in basketball, all 32 conferences get an AQ. The, the bracket is 68 teams on the men's side, 64 on the women. Half the bracket has to be held for the automatic qualifiers. The other half is for at-large bids. That's why 64 is the number you often see. The men expanded it a couple of years ago to get a few more opportunities because they could. The women really don't need it. They have enough as far as the bracket goes. So... Uh, that's extremely important. So that, those were one of the main things that over the years we have really pushed back on the A5 when they start trying to monkey around with that AQ axis. And frankly, they don't. They recognize how important it is to us. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the fun of it. Like, it, when, it, like I think a couple of years ago, Syracuse was like a nine seed and they made it to the, the final four and everyone's just like, big deal, it's Syracuse. It's like this gigantic basketball school. But when you see George Mason or Florida Gulf Coast, like that is a national story. Sure. Like it's it's so much more. To, now, hey, I'm a Duke fan. I want them to win every game. But let's be honest, when Duke loses to one of those teams, I laugh hysterically because I mean, shoot, how often does Duke lose to Lehigh, who is literally in my backyard? I've been to the school. I've been to the place before. So it's always so funny to see See something like that obviously i was devastated that night but afterwards it was kind of fun so i mean taking those schools taking these smaller schools out that ruins like the literal magic part of the tournament i i mean i hope nothing like that ever happens yeah we all pray for that believe me and, and most people recognize that but it's one of those things that we'll always debate within the closed doors of the cca mm-hmm. or the ncaa but yeah, I think the Cinderella story has been great. And the program development, Gonzaga, what they've done mm-hmm. over the years, and Butler and others like that. Those are great storylines. Florida Gulf Coast and and the Big East is really built largely from that basis. All those schools that formed the Big East back in the day were very Mac-like. You know, Seton Hall wasn't all that much different than Fordham. Fordham was in the Mac. Seton Hall was in the Big East. It's just where those leagues went afterwards that made you know, made them special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so I do actually, one thing I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing 
maybe not even your opinion, but what you've been hearing from the rest of the commissioners and really just around the NCAA is, is based on the NIL, um, the name image likeness things that are going on. And especially, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a completely different topic of conversation, I think, especially for a place like the Mac, because again, it's not one of these football schools. It's not like, you know, one of the number one foot, the, you know, quarterback recruits going to Oklahoma, you know, he's going to sign a $300,000 endorsement deal for the, the kids at the schools that you're working with. How have you, what have you been hearing from the the presidents? What have you been hearing from other, I guess, commissioners of the types of leagues that you're similar to in how they're looking at this and, and if people are for it, against it, or just kind of neutral on it? Well, I think early on, a lot of us were probably against it. We really do believe in the amateurism model. But as the majors have gotten so major, you know, as they've grown, it's very hard to justify that, uh, you know, a coach is making, you know, four or five million a year and, and the players get nothing for their image and likeness. So we've been generally supportive of the last 10 years for the NIL uh, options being available to the athletes. That being said, I don't envision it being a huge issue in our league. We may get somebody that comes in that has a, you know, a particularly hot handle on one of the social media sites and is drawing some revenue off of that. I, you know, we're not going to lose sleep over that. Uh, we're not recruiting around it. You know, it's not like we can promise you that when you get here. If you develop it on your own, so be it. Uh, the athletes have enough trouble trying to go to school and play their sport without trying to manage a career, too. And and they will have to manage it because the schools aren't going to manage it for them. That's one thing we've made pretty clear that if you want to take this on, fine, but it's your responsibility. You're an adult. You're choosing to do whatever it is you're doing. So we may have a few places, you know, that will want the athletes to come by and have pizza on their, on their place and tell the fans that they're there. And there's no real harm in any of that. I, I don't lose much sleep over it. But I could see on the majors where it's got to be a big problem. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a problem on teams where they're trying to, to manage the egos between the teammates. You know, I think that's going to be an issue and which members of the team get the access to boosters who are looking for talent to come by their place. I think they're going to have a lot of issues there. And 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 you're going to have more agents involved because somebody's got to manage these these major accounts that some of these kids will be able to get uh, as brands associated with their name. Uh, so there are a lot of details to be worked out on all that. And, and it's going to kick in on recruiting at some level between the majors. And we're, we're not competing for that type of kid typically. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of details to be worked out, but we're generally supportive of it. Yeah. And, and I think, again, on, on the level of, of school and the level of student and student athlete that you work with there at the MAC. I think it's actually just going to be super helpful. You know, as you said, it's going to be something like, hey, like, come come have dinner. You know, it's, it's yeah, going to be, man. hey, the local car dealership wants to give you a thousand bucks to take a picture in one of their cars kind of thing, which is nice. I mean, shoot, don't wear your uniform. You know, you yep, can't exactly yep. you can't say uh, come down here, Sienna fans. You can say come down here, college basketball fans and, you know, meet mm-hmm. Joe. He's he's a great guy. And and by the way, I love his car, you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but you can't say, you know, this is. This is, uh, you know, Rich Enzer from St. Peter's. And, I, you know, I'm I'm endorsing this and come down yeah. and buy the, you know, there's going to be those kind of restrictions, which you also see in pro sports, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, and I'm sure you know this, but if you're a student enough to watch commercials, which commercials have players wearing their team uniforms, yep. which don't, you know, that's all because that has, there's a piece of that that then goes back to the club. So 
those things are always negotiated. And uh, I always, when I'm on the sports lawyers board of directors, and uh, when I sit in those meetings, we have agents and everybody else on our board. It's an interesting group. And uh, the listen to them tell war stories is always fun for me because that's just not that part of the business I work mm-hmm. with and regularly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is always funny to see how how close they can get that color green to the exact yeah. color without having it be like absolutely just without having the actual name of the team on there is always pretty funny to see. But it is interesting. I, I mean, I think I'm, you know, obviously I'm for the players. And, and again, it's, it's such a different conversation having it with you and the students you're dealing with. As you said, it's going to be a little different over there at Oklahoma and Texas and USC where some of these kids yeah, are coming in already with you know a million followers on one of these handles and now these major brands are trying to attach themselves to the student athletes to the colleges it's it's going to get fuzzy but i'm in favor of someone like you know if i could go to school and do it i mean i didn't but if i could why can't this guy just because he plays football it was never uh it didn't really make too much sense to me but seems like you're kind of on board with it as well and hopefully your student athletes will be able to take advantage of it and you know again you know not going to make a million bucks but man they can make four or five grand that's not a bad year right yeah, well, as long as they're play, as long as they're also putting the time in to be a successful athlete and student, because if you don't have the grades, you're not playing. Exactly. And if you're not training, you're not playing. And if you're not playing, Joe Booster isn't going to yep. be interested in giving you a free pizza. You know, I love it. It's a fine line you're walking there. A lot of responsibility. A lot of stuff going on. So we'll see. That's very interesting to me. Um, one last thing before we really switch the conversation to everything that's happening lately, uh, the Division One Council. So I know you are a former member of the Division One Council, but you do are you are a part of the Division One Women's Basketball Committee. Yes, exactly- which reports to the council. I'm just Perfect. checking to see how the votes are going. Oh, today. yeah. Do we have yeah. and this is live? So I don't know if you're allowed to tell us not or yet because um, I can uh, break some news. I've never broken news before. I've never down. broken news. No, because they'll throw me out of the room. Uh, Next yeah, time I show up, not do that. Uh, uh, it's too detailed. I'm going to have to actually pay attention and read it. So oh, we'll no. pass on that for now. Oh, man. But there, they so started crazy. meeting at 1.30, so there's a lot of voting going on right now. Oh, my goodness. All right. So uh, I'm on, I've been part of the governance process for the last 20 years. I think the first 10 years of my career was really about the MAC and getting the MAC established, getting our TV contracts, getting our building relationships for the tournament and all that kind of thing. So – after that first 10 years, you know, the board of directors says, Rich, we need you to get more external, too. And so external in that in the in the sense of a commissioner is to be involved with the NCA, provide leadership for our subdivision and for the MAC. Uh, and so I did. And uh, so I slowly but surely worked my way into committee structure. And I've been on the count. I've been on four different variations of the council over the last 20 years because we keep restructuring it trying to make it better uh never quite succeeding but in any case i've seen four versions of it and then there's subcommittees that you can serve on even if you're not on the council so the women's basketball oversight committee is the governance arm of women's basketball within the structure we have the sport committee which i've also been on which is the one that runs the championship, selects the teams and all that kind of thing. And then the governance one really builds the structure for rules, regulations, um, getting the resources for women's basketball to be able to do branding, those kind of things. So we've been meeting a lot on on the COVID-19 elements uh, as everybody is, but, you know, we're trying to get the season off and running again this year. So a lot of effort going into that. And then I've served on uh, any number. Of, I've been on membership committee for the NCA. I was on the uh, 
committee on committees, which is a thankless task, but it has the benefit of putting people into positions on other committees. So you can have some influence on your own membership, getting into committees mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's a lot of grunt work in many cases, um, but I get, I, re, I feel rewarded when I'm involved and help the league as a, as part of that process. The committee of committees, my goodness. Yeah, it's not I, what they call it. They call it a nomination committee, but right. it's basically the committee of committees. You know, I was going to say that yeah. is bureaucracy at its finest right uh, there. The worst one I was ever on, I've been on a couple of horrible committees, not because of the people, but uh -huh. because of the tasks. I was on the initial eligibility clearinghouse, which was the pro Pro, the committee they set up to get the whole clearinghouse set up so you could get the ACT or SAT scores matched up with all the all the transcripts and everything else it was it worked out of the ACT offices in Iowa. We'd go out there and talk about logarithms for hours, and I'd get headaches. You know, I just get these huge headaches. I said, No, this is not what I signed up for. But uh, that was a tough committee. But it, you know, it's been successful with its program. It just took a few years. Mm -hmm. And then I was on the badly named uh, anti Antitrust Deregulation Committee. So, which we were trying to get rid of bylaws that were subject to perhaps antitrust scrutiny. Mm -hmm. But it was probably the worst name ever given to a committee <laughs> because it just put a target on your back. Yep. But so anyhow, I've been involved in a lot of committees. I still committee of committees, man. That is just perfect. <laughs> Thankfully, you are willing to go and do that. I mean, obviously, you have a lot of work trying to run a conference and do, you know, all the things and help all these schools and the students and the athletes there, of course. And then it's just interesting to see kind of how much more is asked of you um, by the NCAA and, and what they do. And it's, it's just, it's interesting. Again, as I said, as I opened up, I've never had the opportunity to speak with the commissioner. Um, well, I was on a committee uh, that dealt with the um, multi-team events, you know, the tournaments that they mm -hmm. run in the preseason space. Okay. Yep. And we used to regulate those a little bit more than we do now. But in the process of being on that committee, I got invited to the ACC uh, Women's Soccer Final, which was at Disney. I'd never been to Disney Sports. I met relationships there. And the next thing, now we have a 20-year relationship running events down at Disney Sports. So the MAC, you know, has benefited from the people I meet and the connections I meet through that process. And we also started to run MTE. So we're the host of the Orlando Classic and at Disney. We run... We've run an event in Belfast, Northern Ireland. We've run a couple of events with the Basketball Hall of Fame at Mohegan Sun. So there is a benefit to the directly to the MAC, even yeah. if you're doing some unglamorous work in order to make those connections. Still fun, man. Still fun. And, and so now I'm actually kind of curious. So you've been doing this for 30 years, over 30 years. Seems like you've been pretty darn successful doing it. Was there ever an opportunity or was there ever a thought for you to maybe jump to a bigger conference? Because it well, seems like I, you could have done it pretty easily. I did, well, I'm a New Jersey guy to begin with, so I kind of like New Jersey. Love it. I, yeah, I have a family I was raising, you know, so I started late raising a family. So I didn't really want to disrupt them too often. And uh, I haven't, obviously, over 30 years. But uh, I looked at a couple of jobs. I was involved with the Atlantic 10 job once when it was open. I was a finalist for that. And I was a final, not a finalist, but I was in the pool for the mm -hmm. Big East job when Val got it. So I've, I've been looked at a couple of times. But frankly, uh, as more, you know, you get to a point in your career, if you feel like you're doing good work, you're making a decent salary. You might make more at the Big East. I'm sure they do. 
But at the other hand, you know, I wanted to be around with the kids and mm -hmm. the family. And I travel 100 days a year now. If I was at a football conference, you know, that's just a starting point for how many days you're on the road. And mm -hmm. so I kind of liked where I was. So, hey, I'm happy to hear it. It seems yeah. like, again, you're doing a pretty darn good job. So, whatever you're doing, keep doing that. And now I'm not guess, for that many more years, Michael, but yeah, we'll keep doing it for a while. So. Can I break that news? Can yeah, you, sure. You know, it's not news. It's already been how many it's more out years? there. Uh, right now, I'm through uh, June of uh, 22. Okay. All right. Less than two years. Well, how, yeah. how perfect transition to everything that's going on in the world right now. You were so close. Two years away. I know. You're going to have some fun. Uh, You're going to get I out. I have nice mentioned that on a couple occasions uh, lately. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been tough. It's been a tough year. We moved to Atlantic City with our tournament. We worked on that event for nine months trying to get mm -hmm. it ready. We felt really good about walking in there. Things were really coming together. The the look was good. The pickup at the hotels was good. It was all coming together. And we get there and COVID-19, people start canceling coming. All anybody's talking about is COVID this, COVID that. And, you know, by day three, we had to cancel it. You know, we were one of the last conferences to cancel it. Frankly, that was because of the NCA. They just didn't manage it very well. Um, we were on the last weekend. It wasn't like we you could just don't wave a wand and say, no, we're not doing this anymore. So the state of New Jersey had not said we had to shut down. There were no regulatory reasons we had to shut down. We're under contract to ESPN, to Boardwalk Call. You know, so we were running a championship and doing so in a very safe manner, but recognizing that everybody else is slowly shutting it down, you know? And uh, I remember the day, the morning that we shut it down, I was talking to Val Ackerman at the Big East and Bernadette McGlade at the LA 10. And we're saying, what are we doing? And New York city had not shut down the Big East and uh, Bernadette hadn't been shut down on her tournament. So we're saying, what's the NCA doing? You know, cause if they're not having a basketball tournament, there's no particular reason for us to keep playing. Mm -hmm. So ultimately we got word that they were going to pull the plug and then we announced we were shutting it down that day. Yeah. It's, it's just so unfortunate, man. I mean, that's as March madness, it, those, that first four days of March madness is one of my favorite four days of every year. And it's just so unfortunate. I love championship week as well. I mean, it's an absolute yeah. blast. You get to see schools like Marist, like Ryder. I mean, I don't uh, know if Ryder's been to the, uh, they were right there this year. They would have been top of the field for both the men and the women. They I were right in the mix. Yeah. Well, Rutgers too. I mean, I know it's not nearly the same thing, but we were all excited. It was going to be the Rutgers first time in the NCA in 25 years or whatever but sure it's just it's so unfortunate yeah. especially for the kids the seniors especially and just yeah, their heartbreaks for those hearts. kids uh and i had to go in and tell the uh, teams you know that were we had uh we had a women's game going on i wouldn't pull it at halftime val mm -hmm. put yeah that was awkward. She put, yeah, yeah that was I, just, I watched the first half that was the last basketball i was watching yeah. and i was like what are we doing guys this yeah is i didn't good. see the need to go out there and be all dramatic anything that was happening could wait 20 minutes you know mm -hmm. so yeah, hey, everybody does what they have to do. Of course, but, uh, we did have an effect. As it turned out, in retrospect, we had three of our officials were infected. We didn't know oh. it, and as a result, our supervisor of officials got sick, and he was hospitalized at one point. Mm -hmm. And uh, and a few of others of us think we had it, and I've, I've tested positive for the antibodies, although I can't really say i felt that sick anywhere along the line so who knows but yeah it was obviously in the system it was the right time to pull the plug but it was a yeah heartbreaking decision 
how how do those conversations like what what are those especially in the beginning when we had no idea really what was going on we kind of knew there was something in china they shut down a bunch of cities and now it's starting to spread a little bit that's kind of where i felt like we were once the once it happened that night with uh you know rudy gobert yeah, and the yeah, nba yeah. that's when it almost like i don't i don't want to sound stupid but that's kind of when it became real for a lot of people and it was just like oh, national sports, story at that exactly. moment right yeah it was no down that's legit like what are we doing so what are the conversations you're having behind the scenes and and how quickly are, are those starting to really ramp up to oh no i think we might have to turn this off well we had the athletic administrator we meet there anyhow at our mm-hmm. tournament so my athletic administrator's role meeting uh i'm trying to get my timeline right here i want to say we we're meeting on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I, and we, we met and we discussed it. I said, it's starting to get looking like we might have to pull the plug on this, you know, immediately half the room doesn't want to do anything. The other half aren't sure what they want to do, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, it was going to take a while to socialize that whole concept of shutting it down. Um, in the meantime, I was meeting, uh, by phone call with our board of directors, and our executive committee, which is made up of presidents. I happened to have my attorney there because he was meeting with the ADs as just on a separate business item, had nothing to do with COVID-19. So it was it was a little, it worked out all right that way. I had my attorney, we're meeting with the presidents. I go in and meet with the ADs, say, presidents are getting close to doing this. They want a recommendation from you all. You gotta give me a recommendation. And then they draw it over for another 90 minutes. And I said, listen, you got five minutes. Yes or no? What are we doing here? So uh, they made some recommendations. It wasn't to shut it down immediately, but there were some parameters about shutting it down. And, and what were we doing with all the other sports? Frankly, you know, basketball was going on, but we had baseball teams heading to Florida and softball teams and everything else. Because that's that time of year when all the spring sports are doing their non-conference play. So it was a bigger issue. And in many ways, that was a bigger part of it because those teams are all in transit. Some of them were already in other states. But the presidents, uh, we finally had a an indication from the NCA that they were going to shut it down. And once that happened, it was easy. It was an easy decision with the presidents. Mm-hmm. ADs recognized that as well. But it was a little harder for them to take because they've got so much vested in it. Um, so, you know, and then I met with the coaches, you know, that were there. Uh, we had a women's game going on, um, and another one set to take off right after that. I left the team alone that was playing. I got their coaches outside saying, you know, this isn't looking good, um, but I'm not going to change anything till the game's over. And then I got the other two teams. They were getting ready to take the floor for warm-up. So I said, I said, you guys just stay in your locker rooms for now. So uh, once the game was over and I already at that point, the decision had been made, I told the team that one, that was it. And then I went in and told the other two teams they wouldn't be playing. So very sad. You know, the players are upset. The coaches are upset. They're trying to take care of the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it, it, the worst is for the seniors. Like, that's the one that I, I just felt so, so, so bad. I mean, again, like when when we're at that a higher, as you said, the major college level teams like Duke, most of them are only staying for a year. So yeah, it sucks. Of course they wanted those last few games. I'm sure they wanted to do everything they could, but at the same time, those seniors literally will never have that opportunity again. And in, in any capacity, which is just so unfortunate. And I think 
one thing that you know is is now starting to come into effect obviously we're seeing football schools can uh, football conferences the big 10 and the pac-12 already said no thank you um now there's a lot of public debate of course because for whatever reason unless it's happened in the last about 36 hours i have not seen either of those conferences really come out and say why they canceled and i'm not going to ask you that that's not really your place but with all these other sports now getting canceled, how does this affect schools within, you know, let's just talk about the maximum more. How does it affect schools that they're, you know, basketball, we're still trying to figure out what to do. Baseball might not be coming back on time. You know, lacrosse, you know, so many of these sports have been canceled. How does this affect the schools? And then even potentially not even having kids on campus. What is this doing to psyche? What is this doing to culture, to mindset, to all these people that in the communities that these schools are invested in? Well, generally sucks michael how can i sum that up on one yeah, or right. two words you know um we're institutions of higher education mm-hmm. foremost right now in our minds is getting the schools up and running again for academics yeah athletics is just part of that conversation um and so these presidents and their institutions have been working nonstop to put in all the safety mechanisms that they possibly can dream of. The rates of infection in Jersey, New York, and uh, Connecticut, where all my schools reside, are very low right now. So, But how do we get the students in from outside those areas? They've been doing 14-day quarantines and all that kind of thing have been set up. There's so much involved in it. So we're really hoping they can get up and running. Mm -hmm. But as we have already seen this week, UNC, Notre Dame, Michigan state, Ithaca yesterday, uh, they're, they're, they're turning around saying, no, we can't do this. So I don't know where it's going to end up. It's not looking particularly good for on-campus learning. I think we're going to keep trying in Mm -hmm. in the tri-state region because we have the low rates, but it's going to be challenging for athletics. we, uh, we did a lot of planning for the fall. We we had some structures around trying to make sure the testing would be there to manage the competitions. The problem is there's not enough tests. There's not enough tests. There's not enough turnaround time on the test. We need we need answers overnight, not ten days later, because it means nothing if you're competing in the next day. Mm-hmm. And they're too expensive. Right now, the average test is ninety dollars a test. The NCA is requiring us to do weekly test just to practice and if you're competing you have to have a test within 72 hours of each competition it's just not available mm-hmm. it's not there so uh, without the reliability of the testing and the cost of the testing ultimately we had to pull the plug on the fall as much as it wasn't we thought we had structures that could accommodate competition but not if we don't have the testing available and it's mm-hmm. really it's a shame that we just haven't got our act together as a country on this. Now you add in all the all the issues that we're seeing with people not being willing to wear masks and social distance. And the minute they get back to campus, God, this is a shock. 18-year-olds want to go out and party. Weird. You know, huh. Hard to believe. I never Very. did that. Um, we would have hoped they would have been a little safer. Obviously, it's not working. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a problem. But uh, we keep our fingers crossed. Now, the next thing will be if we're not having academics on campus, will we continue with winter sports on campus? I think we're we're committed to doing that. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking the testing will get better. But even if it doesn't get better, if you're only running a limited number of sports and basketball is not a high number of sport, 
Mm -hmm. It's not like some of our fall sports where there's just so many athletes. So we think we can manage the testing. But, you know, there's still some real question marks how we're going to do that. We're looking at multiple models, you know, that include Mm -hmm. the traditional model, which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, we'd start November 10th, a model that would start later around Thanksgiving, which was historically when basketball started when I was in college. Mm -hmm. But uh, and that model might involve some non-conference games, but it might just involve conference games. And then we have a model we're looking at that starts uh, in January with just conference games with the MAC tournament and the NCAA where it is. And then the NCAA has floated an idea that maybe if we have to, we'll start the traditional season in January. So you start what you would have started on November 10th, on January 10th, Mm -hmm. and that the final four ends up somewhere in June. (laughs) So June madness, I'm for it. Yeah, well... Who knows? I mean, we really don't know what'll happen. But so all these models are being worked on. You'll see a lot of talk about the majors wanting to do bubbles. Well, uh, you know, they have those $120 million budgets. So you have to spend them them somewhere. Uh, So Yeah, they have to spend them, huh? Yeah, well, we don't have that $120 million. So I could see, uh, I call it our cocoon. If we keep it within the conference, no non-conference games, we all have mutually assured ourselves what level we're testing at. We won't put each other at risk. We think we can run not a conference through a pretty good season. It won't be the same as usual, but it'll be pretty good. Um, and but, that's what uh, I, think that I don't think we'll do. The, I don't see how we could do the bubble. I don't see the finances of that being available. That would be very difficult. I mean, it's it's worked, obviously. But again, that's with the NBA and the NHL. That's a $170 million operation exactly. uh, down at Disney. Yeah, yeah, I know Disney pretty well. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you do. Yeah, uh, those facilities are the ones that we use regularly when we're down there. Not that's the way they're set up right now, but not quite. Yeah, yeah not quite. Man, two yeah. years. You were so close. You were so close. Two years. Just didn't see this pandemic coming in at the end there. Who but, knew? Um, no. And then I guess the last question I have, and I really do appreciate your time and hanging out. I'm really, I know you're really excited to get back to that email with all those votes in it, but and we've been are, working on that for a while. Michael. There's some big votes coming I down. Believe today. It. I believe it. I believe it. I'll get you it's back. It's like in, inside but, politics, you know? Uh, no, thank you. Not, not, yeah. that's not quite for me. I'll just get angry at that stuff. But the last thing I'm just, curious about and and again it's um it's it's a lot of speculation but what are some of the long-term effects to again canceling the march madness and then you know canceling a lot of these sports i know obviously again the short term it sucks we're gonna see what happens we'll see what we can do but do you have you already started to look at or have you already started to speculate on what some of these long-term effects might be especially if we aren't able to have this basketball season and you know football doesn't kick off like we expected it to i mean have that have those rumblings have that has that kept you up at night at all nothing keeps me up at night <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's one thing when it day's over the day's over you know yeah. another day's coming um but uh first of all you have to start with the pandemic there's no assurances we're yeah. going to be out of this come next summer you know mm-hmm. Uh, we're an impatient culture, as yeah. we've demonstrated a lot recently. At least, yes. And uh, but the the virus doesn't report to us. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, and so uh, I don't know where the virus is going. But if we have vaccinations, that'll help. But it's still probably going to take a couple of years to work this through this country system between those that haven't been vaccinated and 
and so forth. So we're going to be dealing with pan, uh, pandemic type regulations for a while, I think. Mm. Well, so that's just the reality. Then um, as far as higher education, they're at a crossroads here. You, you see the online versus the on campus, the value proposition of not being on campus and all those. Lit- we see a lot of litigation being formed. So they've got to sort that out. Uh, as far as athletics, again, at the MAC, we work at a very different level and we're able to adjust our aspirations based on budgets. I mean, yeah, I like having 12 people here. I like having employees that are working hard towards a common goal. But if we had to make adjustments because the budget wasn't there, we did. And schools will do the same thing. We can cut back a little bit on sports if we have to. And the number of contests we do, the amount of travel we do. You know, we can scale it back a little bit just to save some money for a couple of years. So I'm not too worried about sports surviving. The bigger question is the NCA structure around the Final Four. That does fund a lot of mm-hmm. things, not just at the NCA office, but for D1, 2, and 3 operating budgets. And the MAC gets a couple of million dollars a year from the distribution from the NCA uh, funds that help operate this place, uh, even in this reduced state that we're in now, you know, if that keeps disappearing for a couple of years, uh, we're going to have to think about what we're doing here. We own our building. We don't have a mortgage, so we have some benefits here, but you know, we I'll have to come up with some plans depending on how that looks. And then the, the structure of the NCA and D1, how much it gets fractured through the process we're going through right now, not so much with basketball, but the football thing has gotten a little ugly with the Big 12 and the Pac-12 out, not the Big 12, Big 10 and the Pac-12 out. Uh, I saw a YouTube thing earlier today that really is kind of funny, but uh, but it spoke to the whole issue. You know, where, where are these guys and what are you doing, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I think they're going to have some some real issues to sort out on that level. And that could impact the national governing scene. So some challenges. My crystal ball says we'll have athletics. It'll return to some normalcy in the next 18 months, and it'll grow from there. But we're still in for a rough period here. It's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate, and it's unfortunate I had to end on kind of a negative note. But you've uh, been absolutely fantastic this whole time. Rich Enzer, Commissioner of the Big Mac, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. I really appreciate your time today, man. That was good talking, Michael. Good luck with the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you.